Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show. Today's Friday, May 6th. Joining me today is my good friend Mitchell Schwartz. Mitch, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. It's been a long time. It's good to see you again. It's great to see you, too. You were traveling a bunch. You guys are working on a house. I, I didn't want to have you tethered to a microphone during the offseason when you're no longer playing anymore. It seems like a cruel thing to do to you. The microphone's easy to travel with. The Wi-Fi <laughs> situation in uh, other countries is not quite as easy to yeah, travel Yeah, you're with, in so. Switzerland. You're a bunch of different places. Yeah, we went to a wedding in Ireland, went to Switzerland, went to Paris, before that, we had gone to the Bahamas, and then yeah, moving. Turns out moving sucks. Everyone that says moving sucks, you're correct. The worst. <laughs> it sucks. So hopefully this is our last move, and uh, you know it's going to take a while before we're fully unpacked. Uh, people use the term forever home, and it's just a house that you think you'll be there forever. It's taken you forever to build this house, so you better be there forever. Like this, is, it takes out a whole new meaning with you guys in this house that you just put together. Also true. Probably like my last two seasons worth of salary too at this point because <laughs> what do they say? Like three times as long and three times as expensive. That's a, a good adage. So remember that if you're ever doing construction. I have not been traveling to as many exotic places as you have. Our international trip is later this month, but I have been traveling a lot recently. And we went to Coachella and then I went to Vegas for the draft. And I saw Travis Kelsey at Duke Dumont at Coachella. And then I saw him in the, tr- the security line in Vegas. And I was, I was talking to him about it. I was like, we're on the same schedule right now. And I, I think that's either a very good thing that he and I are on the same travel schedule or a very bad thing for the choices that I'm making and how I'm spending my time. That's an excellent point. I don't know if you can <laughs> hang with him. Maybe in your in your 20s you could hang with him. But at this point, He's 30 now, though. I'm impressed. The yeah. fact that he's still going like this, I, I literally thought that. I was like, man, good for him. I'm, I'm so proud of him. Yeah, I mean, he's just like... You know, he's such a good guy that if he gets invited to stuff or there's cool opportunities, he's just like, yeah, I'll go. And he doesn't want to, like, not see his friends or not see people or let people down. So if you got Justin Timberlake saying, hey, come golf. And then the next weekend you got Gronk saying, hey, come to this party. Like, yeah, he'll be there for you. We were at Duke Dumont during like the last day of Coachella. And I looked to my left and I was like, it's definitely Travis Kelsey. He had sunglasses on, but he's an unmistakable person. Like, it, no one in the world looks like him. So it was him. And then I saw him at the security line and we just talked for a little while. It was very funny. But yeah, my, my, my travails have not been nearly as exotic or as fun as yours, but soon, hopefully. All right. Yeah, that's all right. You don't have to go overseas to have fun. Like, we that's just enjoy doing that's it true. because we have the time to, but our domestic trips are just as fun. And we're looking forward to all of it. So we're going to go back through a lot of the stuff we've missed. It's almost like a little recap of all the things that have happened over the last couple months, a crazy couple months in the NFL. And I wanted to kind of filter it through a player's perspective. Some of the things that we've talked about, we can't see it that way. And I really wanted to get your opinion on it. I wanted to start just with the craziness of the wide receiver market. And there's a few different things within this weekend hit. But the first thing, and not beyond you being on the Chiefs, I want to talk about this in a more theoretical way. When you're on a team and they make a deal like the Chiefs and the Titans did, even the Packers, same sort of situation, even though I think it's a tiny bit different because he wanted out. But you're a team with the, like the Titans. You were the number one seed in the AFC. You're the Chiefs. You once again went to the AFC championship game. You are smack dab in the middle of being a contender. And your team trades away arguably the most important offensive weapon on your team outside of the quarterback and definitely the best wide receiver on your team. How does a locker room respond to that? When you know you're smack dab right there as a team that can win a championship or you're on the precipice of it, and you take even a small step back, how would you respond in that moment if you were on that team? The first thing is you're surprised. I was really shocked. I think I was in Ireland maybe, and I started to see the Twitter news about it. And you know, about Tyreek. 
Yeah, about Tyreek. So you're, I'm six hours ahead or whatever. And I remember it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I was God, like, man, it's been a slow I thought it was going to be in the morning. I was like, man, that's disorienting. <laughs> no, no, no. Three in the morning, you're no, waking up to it's it. It's better because that's when like all the stuff was happening football wise. And I was like, well, it's 3.15 right now. So that means it's like 9.15 back home. And it's been a pretty slow football day. Hopefully nothing happens. And then, you know, I turn Twitter off like eight minutes later, I go back on and 53 new tweets, which means probably something. <laughs> I'm sure Brooke loved that you were just on Twitter the entire time you were in Ireland supposed to be hanging out. You know, sometimes we need to nap because it's uh, an overseas trip. So I get some time to peruse, but usually that means something Chiefs happened because I follow a lot of Chiefs people. And of course it was the Tyreek thing. And I was very shocked at first because you don't expect to see that happen. You know, you figure that he's a core part of the trio, essentially him, Pat, Kelsey, but as you kind of process it, you think it through, it starts to make more sense. I mean, I don't think he's declined at all. I, I don't see that in, in, in his game particularly. You know, you worry about uh, third contract guys in general, let alone speed guys and yeah. a guy who's relied on probably the fastest NFL player ever. What happens when you take away half a step of that, you know, a full step of that? Part of why he's been so good is because he has the route running ability to not just be a, a pure burner, but... To get to the original question, like I was very surprised, very shocked to see that. And that's, I think, your first instinct as a player. Now, Coach Reed came out later, said, you know, he was talking to Pat, he was talking to Kelsey, keeping them apprised. You know, I would imagine if those guys pushed hard enough and said, like, no, he's got to be here, they'd probably acquiesce a little bit. We've seen, you know, the power that some of these quarterbacks have and wanting to keep those guys happy. But that's kind of what's special about this group is they kind of trust each other. They trust that Coach Reed has a plan. Brett Veach has a plan. The organization has a plan. So I think you get over that initial shock, especially when it's your teammate, when it's the guy you've been around the whole time and, wow, he's not going to be here anymore. We know how good he is. We know how important he is. And for me, you know, I'm always looking at things from the business side anyway. So then you start to think like, okay, you got, I don't know, six picks, one being a late first rounder. Like that's a pretty good haul. You don't have to pay a guy a top of the market salary. You know, I know you guys have talked about the salaries and how weird the wide receiver market is in terms of figuring out specifically how much a guy is making these days, but still a top of the market salary for a wide receiver, you know, going into year age 29 or 30. And um, it starts making sense when you look at it from that perspective. And I think from the, the Chiefs in particular, you've got Pat kind of exiting the grace period of, the gift he gave Kansas City in his contract, which he kept his cap hit low the first few years and took way less money than these other guys are getting. And so you're going to have a QB at 40, 50 plus million a year in terms of the cap. You've got Kelsey, Chris Jones, you know, Frank Clark this year, a few other Tooney, Orlando Brown looming. There's a lot of guys to get paid and having a quarterback that can overcome a lot of those things is definitely helpful. And it's not like it was Tyreek and nobody else. You know, you still have Kelsey, you still have McColl, you still have, uh, this scaling you sign juju you have clyde you've got all these other guys and so it's not that the cupboard is bare now you said something really important and just talking about andy reed as like a stabilizing force in all of this and how the trust implicit in somebody like that it changes the dynamic in my opinion when you have a tracker record of success and when you've shown that you can put together a dangerous offense in so many different iterations and variations over the course of the years you get the benefit of the doubt. As a player in that building, I'm sure there's an understanding, well, he's done it for 15 years. Like it, The proof is in the pudding here. There's no reason for us to be like, oh, that was it. You know, We're just never going to be the same again. That is such an important example to me of organizational stability and why good teams stay good is that it, it really can't shock a building to its core when you have somebody like that at the top handling the messaging, handling what the next stage of all of this is going to look like. Right, and so that's why... It's tricky because – so I feel like Poles is, in Chicago is taking a ton of heat right now for not doing things to make the offensive line better, to make the receiver room better. He's not surrounding fields with enough talent, and he's hanging him out to dry. And it's like if this was year nine for him and they had won a Super Bowl and they had been playoff contenders a bunch, you would kind of trust the plan. He would have built some uh, credibility. He would have built some um, – I'm blanking on the word, but like – the fans would trust him. They would capital. Say, okay, it's just it's just like social cultural capital that you build up yeah. within with, with the fan base. Yeah, and so he doesn't have that earn with the Bears fans right now. So everyone's freaking out, thinking he doesn't have a plan. They don't know how to protect the quarterback. They don't trust him. You know all these other things. Where Coach Reed's got the twenty year track record. Brett Veach has the track record now as the GM, and the Packers organization has that track record. Um, so it's interesting in these trades because. 
the Eagles trade was really the first time that this established organization went out and got the receiver or got the disgruntled guy. You know, even you could say Arizona trading for Hopkins. Arizona was in a better spot maybe than the Bill O'Brien Houston Texans, but it's not like Arizona was the model franchise for stability. They, and they so, had the number one pick a year after having <laughs> right. Josh Rosen. Like, it was not going well there. Right. So the Philly one was the one that surprised me because that's a team that you wouldn't have expected to give up draft capital to get a receiver like that and then pay him top of the market because they already had you know an older more expensive roster i know they do have the young quarterback to offset that but it just didn't seem like you know the jets or the dolphins or these other teams that are ready with cap space a young quarterback not an aging defense or an aging roster that they've got guys to pay and so that's the interesting one that made me think a little bit differently about this because it was just hey we've got a young quarterback we need to get better we need talent We've got a two or three year window where we can take a 25 to 28 million dollar cap hit on one receiver as our quarterback's getting paid uh, not that much. And uh, the Philly one made me think like, okay, maybe it does make sense for some of these other franchises who are um, already a little bit more cash strapped to do it. Um, It just it's so fluid. And like you said, you've got in Kansas City in particular, the coach Reed and Pat Mahomes stability to kind of elevate the roster, you would say that. You know, every team is searching for a quarterback that can elevate the roster around him as opposed to a quarterback that needs a roster to kind of elevate his best game. And Pat brings that. And so maybe you sacrifice a little bit at this one position. You still fill the receiver room with a lot of good players, use that money towards the defense or towards the offensive line. And um, you'd like to think that net the team is better in the long run because of it. The Eagles are an interesting example just because – I don't really know what stage they're in. It's not a bad, it's not a bad thing. I'm, I'm not saying this is a criticism. I feel like they've kind of given themselves such a, a pivot point, even in next year, where if you have two first-round picks, do you, are you able to go out and get a first-round quarterback next season? Are you able to move up and get one of those guys? I mean, every mock draft you've seen this week, there's been four or five of them in the top 12. Because the way that they've built the rest of this thing, there aren't that many contracts, just giving it a quick peruse right now, that they can get out from under next year. A lot of these deals have dead money on them. You know, Brandon Brooks, I think $8 million comes off the books. They have like $20 million in cap space with a couple of small moves. But a lot of these other moves, they've kind of pushed the money into future years and don't really save anything. Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey. And this is a team that has the benefit of we're willing to spend a ton of cash. And yeah. they can do th- And that helps, right? I mean, that's a real thing. When you have a team that's willing to spend a ton of actual cash on this stuff, you can move the money around when it's the Saints or the Bucks over the last couple of years. And the Eagles are in that same conversation. So if you look at it, the, the cap hits on the AJ Brown deal are kind of interesting. It's like five million this year and eight million next year, and then it goes to twenty-seven in twenty twenty-four. So how that squares with the rest of their team building process, I don't know exactly. But if they're one of those teams where even if there's not a ton of flexibility to the cap, if you just look at give it a quick glance, I just assume they thought he's really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we are gonna have a very hard time finding a pass catcher in this draft, even when you factor the rookie contract into it, and especially when you look at their history of drafting guys in the first two rounds over the last five years, we might as well roll the dice here because now we've created a situation for whoever our quarterback is over the next two to three seasons, if that guy's on a rookie deal, where he is set up to succeed immediately, Jalen Hurts or somebody else. Right. It does seem like it's not a make-or-break year for Jalen Hurts, but this is the year, probably the best intersection of receiver play, offensive line talent, kind of that cap situation all coming together in a good way. You know, it doesn't seem like Kelsey's going to play more than this year. You know, we've been saying that for three or four years now, but it kind of does seem like, you know, last year for the center, of course, they just drafted one, so um, they should be good at that position. But yeah, it's, it's, we'll see what Jalen can do. And if not, we've got two first rounders in next year's draft and a quarterback heavy draft. And, We've got some flexibility to try to go find the guy. They've also built the kind of offense that you can plug a guy into. You know, this year it's kind of Baker and Jimmy. I'm not really sure who those guys are going to be next year. It might still be those two, to be honest. But if you've got a stable enough offense where you can take a middle-tier quarterback and, again, this idea of the roster around the quarterback elevates the quarterback, you get one of these quarterbacks that independently maybe is a 15 to 18 to 20 quarterback, but on the right roster he becomes a top 10 guy. Well, you've now built the right offense to make that happen. You know, we talk a lot about offense being more predictable year to year, more stable year to year than defense. So I think investing on that side of the ball and having a little more uh, knowledge that that side's going to be really strong um, is probably a smart thing to do as well. 
We've seen the Saints, you know, this year, last year, probably next year too. You know, Philly as well. Once the defense starts getting older and it's the same guys, you lose a little bit of that edge, a little bit of that fire. And you just don't want to have an old and expensive defense. You know, you want to have an old and cheap defense or a young and expensive defense. But the old and expensive defenses typically uh, haven't really yielded what we wanted to see. So it, it makes a ton of sense from Philly's perspective. You know, you can go through and kind of make the argument for, I mean, this is six trade or three trades, six teams. It makes sense for each individual team to deal Tyreek to Miami. It makes sense for Miami. It makes sense for Kansas City. It made sense for Tennessee. It made sense for Philly. So it's it's fun to do that. And this is kind of a different world we're living in now where these trades are happening. We're seeing more of them. The Instagram account thing is absolutely hilarious. Uh, I could go on for days about that. That's a whole I want to talk thing. about that. I, w- I want to talk about that. But I want to talk about a couple of these other moves and, and the potential of a couple of these other moves uh, more specifically. I, I want The Titans one to me feels different than the other ones for a lot of the reasons that you said as it relates to Tyreek. He's 29 years old. He's going to be on a third contract. The quarterback is on a really expensive deal. Those things are not true for A.J. Brown, a lot of them. He's 24 years old. The quarterback next year may not be on an expensive deal. They move on from Ryan Tannehill. They drafted Malik Wilson in the third round. Their quarterback becomes very cheap. A.J. Brown would never be expensive at the same time Ryan Tannehill is expensive when you're looking at the Titans' timeline. If you're on that team, especially as someone who was drafted by that team. Is there something in the back of your mind when an all-pro level player that's a homegrown guy gets traded away for money reasons that makes you a little bit worried? You could say yes, and I'm sure for some guys it does a little bit. But the flip side is if it's for money reasons, it's not because they're going cheap. It's probably because they can't afford him, which means they're spending money elsewhere. Sure. I'd imagine Jeffrey Simmons gets broke off here pretty soon. They've paid guys before. They pay their quarterback. They pay their running back. They pay their. They just paid Landry. Yeah. Right. So they're paying their own guys. They brought in Bud Dupree. You know, they've paid Autry a little bit. Like they're paying basically every position. It's just they put a valuation on the receiver. It seems like sixteen million with incentives up to twenty is kind of what's been leaked. Um, So I saw the reporting on it today, and that uh, Teron Davenport from ESPN wrote today, and he reported that. It sounds like they were trying to give him a deal in the range of the Godwin and Mike Williams deals, where it's three years, $60 million, $40 million guaranteed right in that same range. If I'm A.J. Brown, I'm I'm not taking that. (laughs) I'm I'm a better player. I love Chris Godwin, but I still think I would want more than that if I were A.J. Brown. I would want a deal that's closer to the top of the market because I think that's the type of player that he is. But I think even $20 million, if that's your cutoff point, that still is a cutoff point. That is a we're not paying more than this to this position. Right. And the thing that we just don't know is, is there a medical thing that they're afraid of? Is there something else behind the scenes? You know, you can have a $28 million valuation on him talent wise and what he does for your offense, but you might have this medical thing that we're never going to know. They can't tell us, you know, it should come up in Philly's interview or, or maybe it doesn't. You just kind of have to be around a guy to know. You just have the sneaking suspicion. Maybe, hey, his calves are tight. He's had this imbalance. He's had one or two small soft injury, um, soft tissue injuries to this other spot. We think it's going to lead to injury down the road. It could honestly be that simple. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I have no idea if that's the case, but like a team has every right to just be skeptical. And if you're paying a guy top of the market, I mean, we saw this with the Rams, I think two years ago, maybe three when Donald got hurt. And I think it was a fractured rib or something you're paying four or five star guys. And if the most important star gets hurt, it kind of ruins the whole thing. You know, if you don't have that depth, especially at the receiver position, when you got one guy who can dictate what an entire defense does around him, you know, it's not really like Tannehill as the guy that they game plan for. It's Derrick Henry and AJ Brown. So if you're worried about the injury history and you don't want to pay top of the market to a guy like that does make sense. The Titans aren't going to tell us. They're not allowed to tell us, but it's, it's just, it's interesting. Um, like you said, every team has a certain cutoff point. It did seem like, you know, from what the Chiefs said, they were trying to negotiate with Tyreek. It just got too expensive, especially after the Adams deal. The Packers seemed willing to play ball. Adams just wanted out. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's every team's got this thing. And Philly has always been eager, it seems like, to be early to the game and just pay guys what seems like a crazy market, over market deal. And then three years later, you're like, huh, that actually made sense. Um, you know, it made sense for Lane is, Johnson. Is this some Lane Johnson scar tissue that you're giving us from from well, getting paid as much as he did? That's 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 <laughs> another different story. But no, in terms of Lane, in terms of Jason Peters, 
you know, Fletcher Cox. There's they've had a long history of just being like, you know what, the cap's going to rise. We trust our um, evaluation process. We trust that AJ Brown is worth this. And you know, in two or three years, the receiver market might be up to thirty million. And now AJ Brown is underpaid based on what the Eagles paid him, and he's looking for more he's money. He's going to be twenty eight at the end of that deal, right? I so mean, it's very real possibility given all the TV money coming in. So it just it. it depends on the team what risk you're willing to take you know where you see the market going what you're comfortable with you know we're at a point where almost every contract is going to seem ridiculous at the top of the market in terms of the money being made because no one's ever made that money the cap's growing at a crazy high rate and it's nuts to think like oh this receiver is going to be worth 30 million but he is going to be worth 30 million eventually and you know percentage-wise to the cap i know florio talks about that a lot but eventually you know percentage wise to the cap there's going to be 30 million dollar receivers and that's just the way it is and it's going to sound weird the first couple of years and we're going to get used to it so i think some of these numbers they sound excessively high but they're not quite as high because the cap is growing so just looking at this very quickly doing some pretty dirty math in 2012 so 10 years ago that was right when calvin johnson and larry fitzgerald were getting their new contracts they were at like $16 million a year. Pretty significant bump over the rest of the market. Vincent Jackson was third at $11 million. But in 2012, $16 million a year was 13.5% of the salary cap. That's not far off from what Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are getting based on where the salary cap is now. The number seems insane. It's when we're, yeah, it, it's actually more. It's 30, right. They're at like 12%. So it, I think that's important to, to keep in mind here is that the numbers look crazy. But when you think about where the cap is going, is it really that crazy or is it the same amount we've essentially always paid the best receivers in the NFL? Right. And I think the discussion to me is more, are you willing to pay a receiver top of the market money? That's the question. Right. What do and you think about that? Do you do you think that the way that the, the pipeline as it exists now, because the, we've talked about this, the Titans are the perfect example of this. It's not like they wanted to get different on offense. They picked a very similar kind of player to the one they traded away, but the one they're about to pay, instead of paying him $25 million a year, they're going to pay him $3 million a year, whatever the 18th pick makes. I'm not exactly sure. So it's purely a financial decision betting on the talent pipeline at that position and being able to replicate that production or some percentage of it for a guy on a rookie contract. I think we're getting a little bit skewed by two outliers in terms of guys who have performed well on their rookie deal. Um, you know, Jefferson and Chase and the general offensive trend of numbers being through the roof for receivers and passing statistics. In I tend general. to agree with you. And so I don't necessarily think that these receivers are coming in and they're more skilled and they're more able to play in the NFL. You know, the flip side is people say offensive linemen are coming in. They're not as ready to run block or do all these other things. But like if college is all about pass blocking, shouldn't college offensive linemen come in ready to pass block like i know the arguments rpos and all this other stuff but like i just don't think that that's as valid an argument as kind of the media narrative that's out there that oh the you know under market thing is to not sign these top guys and receivers are so deep and all this other stuff i don't, I don't see that quite as much i think you just happen to have two exceptionally good players uh who make people think that it's pretty easy to come and be an elite receiver right away and so it's more just, are you willing to pay a top of the market receiver? I think in terms of AJ Brown, for sure. Like, yeah, you're probably going to bet on the guy who's 24, who's big and strong and has, you know, a pretty good track record. You're less likely to bet on the 30 plus year olds. It just doesn't seem like it pans out quite as well. You know, as much as DeAndre Hopkins has helped at Arizona, you know, he was injured a bunch last year. He's going to be suspended this upcoming year. You know, it's looking like that wasn't necessarily the greatest trade in terms of how often that guy is going to be on the field for the team. Um, a lot of the times when you're trading for a guy who's on the wrong side of 30, it just doesn't work out, especially if you have to pay him a top of the market deal. So from that perspective, I'd probably say no. I agree more with the Chiefs and the Packers version of things. Um, the t Tennessee one, you know, again, it comes down to the finances and just kind of how the cap shakes out and whether you think you can build a room of three or four receivers, maybe deeper, maybe you know, spread out a little bit more as opposed to one top guy. And now you're spending less money on others. So it, it's a tough one. It's kind of a combat to say it's, you know, context specific, but I would say if the receiver has shown two plus years of pretty high production and he's you know 26 or younger, I'd probably gamble on the side of giving that guy the money, especially if 
your offensive coordinator believes that he is a specific reason that defenses change things and makes things easier for the rest of the offense. I think that's a specific caveat. And I think that he is. I think A.J. Brown is that type of player for the way that the Titans have played over the last few years. It's funny. I was talking to a GM about it this week about the, the Brown trade, and he's, I think he said something similar about not is he hurt or whatever, but just alarm bells went off. Like, why would you trade a 24-year-old guy? in his prime like what's going on there and that's that was the, re- the reaction just because this is not like the adams or the hill trades there's something else going on here whatever it may be that is probably at the core of this even if it's financial or something just beyond that yeah so i would say like you know they can say oh well we were negotiating it got to a point where we knew he wasn't going to be willing to sign and we had to move on from him and that kind of puts the onus on the player, like he's not willing yeah. to sign for it. But it, again, it's you guys to put the $20 million cap on it. And you said, we're not going to pay you top of the market money. We're going to yeah, pay you, have you to do that, anything 82% right now. <laughs> of top of the market, right? So it's, of course, the team's going to spin it to try to look as good as possible. And like, well, we tried our best. And it was the player who said that he wasn't going to be willing to commit. So we had to move on. You know, that's just, that's that's not the case. If any team can pay any amount of money to any player, as Cleveland has shown us. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so the last wide receiver specific thing I wanted to ask you. You're in a locker room with Debo Samuel and, and what's going on right now. He's somebody who's clearly unhappy. Have you ever been in that sort of situation before with a guy who has publicly kind of been at odds with the team? And what is that like in that moment? And if you have not, how do you think you'd respond if that was going on with the team that you were playing for? I have been in some locker rooms where you could tell guys are not very happy with their situation, the team situation. Um, their role, kind of all those things. It, it does get contentious. I mean, I think most people have been in a work environment that they're not very happy with, and it kind of bleeds into your everyday, you know, attitude. Coaches and people, you know, you like to talk about being able to control your attitude and be positive and all that stuff. But if you're frustrated and you go to the place that makes you unhappy every single day and you don't really feel like you have a way out and it's just something you're forced to do, especially in football when it's physical and violent and difficult and you're putting your body on the line, you know, those things tend to not be great situations. And so it has to get resolved somehow. Either the coaches have to sit that guy down and just say like, Hey, this is the deal. We're in season. I'm using in season as an example because you don't see it quite as much in season and tends to resolve out of season, which is easier anyway. But like if it's happening in season, a guy's frustrated with his playing time, he wants to be traded or, or these other things like, it's on the coaching staff in the front office to sit down with him and or his agent and just be like, look, we have to figure out a solution. Like we can't have you, you know, out here kind of being a disruptive force, not being happy. Sowing discord. Right. And especially if it's a bigger name guy, you know, you look at, I mean, the Jacksonville thing with Jalen Ramsey, that's one of the more high profile situations we've had in the NFL during the season. And you kind of just are like, all right, we're ready to move on. Like a lot of the young guys look up to him. He's a great player. He's a leader when he's you know, in the right mood to do so. And this isn't what we need on our team. So like maybe we do have to take 60 cents on the dollar, just get him out of here. And that will be, you know, addition by subtraction. But there has to be some sort of sitting down, talking to him. You know, I guess I hate to bring up Watson because that's just not the greatest topic. But like last year, they kind of came to an agreement. Like this is how we're going to handle the season. And that's just how it's going to be. And so you kind of have to do that. Um, but yeah, it's not a fun situation when you've got a coworker who wants out, is clearly wants out. You know, most guys start making the snide comments about everything and you know, everything a coach says. It's, oh, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, just not a good workplace environment. And so 
a lot of these things tend to manifest in the offseason. You know, I'm sure Debo's not at OTAs right now. I would imagine something gets worked out by the time training camp rolls around, whether it's a trade or an extension or whatever it is. And if not, like, I guess the new CBA rules, he kind of has to show up regardless. But, like, he'll show up. He'll just say his hamstrings hurt or his back's hurt. And he'll just be there until things get resolved. And that's almost a worse situation for the team. Like, it got negotiated that way. But I'd say the team probably doesn't want a guy showing up and just, like, purposely pretending to be hurt or disgruntled and having to work through that. And that guy just sits in all the meetings and sits in the back, you know, unhappy and not really part of things. So it's an interesting situation. Just imagining like Bart Simpson, like in the back <laughs> of a, in the back of a classroom, like throwing stuff at the teacher. Yeah. You know, the problem is you don't want to be fined for anything conduct detrimental because once you start giving them reason to fine you, then that's when guarantees void. And the, yeah. that's a, uh, you know, not, not the greatest situation. So it's uh yeah it's not a good scenario you definitely don't want it to happen during the season during training camp you want these things to be uh, taken care of out of the season but yeah guys understand what's going on you know if your teammates unhappy you know most of the guys talk to him and you just kind of understand what he's going through and you hope that there's a resolution that kind of works for both sides but you basically almost never want to see that guy go unless you just hate him and he's not very fun to be around you just like get him out of here but like you don't want the scenario to be all right the team has to trade him you mentioned the Jalen Ramsey thing, and that, and that brings us nicely to the next thing I wanted to talk about because I think it's easy to make big sweeping comments about where the league is and how things have changed in this regard. But do you think, based on some of the player movement that we've seen over the last year or so, and guys being like, I want to go here, and that happens, even the Jalen Ramsey thing of I'm, I'm out of here, like you cannot make me play, it's easier to trade me. Do you think we've reached a new place and a new era when it comes to player agency and movement? Yeah, it does seem that way, and I would say it's probably a good thing. The players, you know, we are the ones putting everything on the line. We are the ones giving the entertainment. If you were to create the NFL from scratch you, without any kind of preconceived notion of what this is supposed to look like, you know, I'm not sure that you'd say that the 32 richest people or the 32 people who had a rich parent that got to inherit a team would be the ones profiting the most off of this thing. You know, you'd probably start with, all right, what makes the product so good? You know, the guys who play the game, you know, how do we compensate them the highest and make sure that they're making the most money from it and go from there. And I think societally, that's kind of what we're realizing is, you know, in all sorts of different fields that the people who are kind of producing the things that are most valuable are starting to realize the power that they have for better or for worse on different perspectives. I mean, that's obviously a very capitalistic way of uh, viewing things, but it is America. I mean, that kind of is the, the situation we're in now and it works really well in some things and really poorly in other scenarios. So there's good and bad. But in this particular one, I do think players are realizing the power they have, the agency they have. You know, five or 10 years ago, I think these things were way more looked down upon and like you don't want to be the one guy that's holding out or the one guy doing this thing. But now that it's happened a few times and guys are getting their way, they are getting the trades, they are navigating themselves to their hometown or the best situation for them you know, getting to play with your college quarterback that you're best friends with you start to realize like huh you know i am pretty important i am a really good player people do love me i do have this power like i don't want to necessarily keep playing for the city that i just happened to get drafted to and i think it's good on the players that are willing to do that you know that's something that uh yielding or wielding that power it's kind of always scary to me. Like I wasn't willing to hold out. I wasn't willing to, you know, do that. That uh, you and I are wired the same way when it comes to that. Yeah, it scares the crap <laughs> out of me. So, um, you know, I always look at it as good on the player for doing that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely is a different landscape, and you're going to see a bit more player movement. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And you know, you know as good as anybody, the last few months have been pretty exciting. It's kind of fun yeah, when all these things happen. I think it's a balance because with the NBA, I can totally understand of, well, this is stupid. Like, all the good players are going to be on four teams. Like, fuck this, which is not really true. Like, the Suns are incredible to watch, and it's just they're in a completely different space. And the Bucks aren't like that, and they're super fun to watch. And even the Celtics aren't built like that. So I do think it's a little bit overstated, but I do think some people's eyes glaze over. But with basketball, there's only five guys on the court at the same time. Like, one guy changes things in such a dramatic way that I can understand it being a little bit more problematic as it comes to the balance of power in the league. One receiver changing teams doesn't shift the balance of power in any sort of 
conference, any sort of division even, even quarterbacks, it, it can move the needle a little bit, but it's still not to that degree. So I do think that the the NFL has hit a nice little sweet spot where people aren't going to be like, oh, fuck this. Like, I can't believe that these guys just choose wherever they want to go because it's not that impactful. But it also creates even more interest, drama, everything you want at what would be a down period of the league. I didn't sleep in March, so that was one thing that I could <laughs> take it or leave it. But I love the fact that there's more intrigue at times where it would typically be a little bit quieter. So I do think it lands in a nice little sweet spot where it creates interest in the league and it's not something where people are like, ah, oh, this is stupid. Like, this is going to diminish how much I care about this. And you said the important point, which is that aside from a quarterback, none of these guys really make that much of a difference in terms of, yeah, this is the one thing that's going to put this one team over the top and change the entire course of the franchise. It takes one of those eight quarterbacks that we all know to do that, to make that happen. And it just seems like those top guys aren't going to be available. The team isn't going to be willing to trade him or you know, move on from him or anything like that. So you know, you're in a Russell Wilson situation where you had 10 or 12 good years. You won a Super Bowl. The player starts to decline. You can blame that on a lot of different things, whether that's everything else around him. He stayed the same. He got injured. He had these other things. You know, it's hard to parse out. I think we're all interested to see what he looks like on Denver and whether he bounces back to his you know, kind of peak Seattle form. But yeah, you don't tend to have a Mahomes or you know a Josh Allen right now or the guys who are truly franchise-defining, who carry the load and bring their team to the championship game every single year. You know, those guys don't tend to change uh, teams very often. And if they do, I mean, Peyton Manning got hurt. Tom Brady just was with the team for 20 years and wanted to change the scenery and to go somewhere more fun and warmer. So it just doesn't happen that often. And uh, yeah, that, that to me is the really good point that all these trades can happen and they're not going to change the tenor that much, but they are going to create a lot of discussion, a lot of fan excitement, new things to see in the upcoming year. It just kind of creates all that buzz that we love to, to see. And we like people talking and loving the NFL. It's just fun that there are teams willing to be on each side of those deals. We, we haven't gotten to a place where every team, there's a homogeneity in the thinking where, well, well why Christian would I make McCaffrey this wasn't trade? traded, so <laughs> not every team for every deal. <laughs> a lot of these teams, are well, there are teams with different motivations. There are different points in where they're trying to be. They're trying to accomplish different things sometimes. I mean, with the Raiders, I don't think Devontae Adams makes them a Super Bowl contender, but I do think that more people are going to be interested in Raiders football. If I were a Raiders fan, I, my ears would peak up perk up a lot more than they would have last year even when they surprisingly made the playoffs like oh this team is going for it like i'm excited to tune into raider games this year even if the efficiency of the moves that they've made can probably be questioned in a vacuum and i think sometimes that's okay it depends on what you're trying to accomplish as a team yeah for sure and you know it's interesting because in terms of the fandom there's kind of the two sides like you've already got your diehards who are going to watch and are going to come to the games and buy all the merch and spend a lot of money and you want to keep them that way, right? So bringing in Devontae Adams, you know, signing your quarterback to this big extension on paper in reality, not really, but it sounds like, you know, hey, we're committed to Carr for a while. Devontae Adams is here. Like that's going to keep the stickiness of that fan. And now maybe the French fan who is in Vegas and maybe they're going to go to the casino on Sunday or maybe they spent too long their Saturday night and they're going to stumble home like, hey, the Packers are... Stadium's right there, man. I, yeah. I, it was, you could see it out my window when I was staying at the Cosmo last week. Yeah, but to your point, like maybe more casual fans are starting to tune in and like, hey, this team seems like it's going to be better. It's got a couple star guys that I've seen on Sunday Night Football before, uh, Monday Night Football. Maybe I should tune in for that. And then, you know, they tune in for the first few games. Devontae balls out. The team's 3-0, and 2-1. and And now you've got these casual fans becoming real fans. And... It is, I think, good for the league to, to have that excitement and to have as many eyes on them and to make the diehard fan as happy as he's always been and also be able to bring in new fans. I wanted to let's stick in the AFC West for a second because they want to ask you what you think of the reset. And you alluded to it a little bit where you're now thinking as a team, all right, if we trade a Tyreek Hill, can we replicate that production in some way with three guys in draft pick, the money that we free up? What do you think of the complexion of the offense now with the guys that they now it's a MVS, Juju, Sky Moore. That's what you see. It's no longer assets. It's players tangibly that we've seen that are going to have to replace him. What do you think of the moves they've made and the little pivot they made? I think it's been a good offseason for them. 
it's going to be interesting to see how that all comes together. As we discussed earlier with Coach Reed, you trust that he has kind of the best ability to know where these guys are going to excel, where they're not. You know, I think that's – when you look at Nicole, you know, you could say, oh, you've been disappointed because he hasn't had the production and stuff. But I think he got kind of compared to Tyreek a bunch, and they are different players. You know, as we said, Tyreek is kind of that full receiver, runs every route, and has world-class speed on top of it where McCool has been in a different role. He hasn't been asked to do all those things. You know, Tyreek plays Tyreek's position. You know, maybe this frees up that freedom for McCool to jump into it, and I'm excited to see how he performs this year because he's probably going to have a little bit bigger role in the offense, and it's not just, you know, running these deep overs and running these other things. You know, he might become more of that, uh, you know, kind of puzzle piece that gets shifted around and is asked to do more. You've got two guys who are now a lot bigger than what Pat has been used to, uh, his throw radius probably just increased by like 80 uh, percent and also i mean if you if mvs is going to be that speed at three guy in some of those formations what he can do as a blocker and what 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 he can do in the run game that just feels like a little tiny shift like they're, they're making little tiny pivots all over the place and in when you sum all of those up i think it's going to be really fun to watch yeah it is and i think this goes back to a kosh anahan thing that when he thinks about the receiver room, he thinks of it like a starting five in basketball that you want yeah. different guys for different roles. And it seems like the Chiefs had a lot of guys in a more similar role. It seemed like, you know, kind of Sammy, Pringle, D Rob were in one role and Tyreek and Nicole were in different roles. Yeah. And now you've got a couple of bigger guys. One of those guys is to take the top off. The other is really that, you know, kind of underneath intermediate body guys up. You've got a deep threat. And Nicole, who's now going to have an expanded role, and we get to see everything he's going to do. You've got Sky Moore, who you know Draft Twitter has loved for a while and loved the Chiefs picking him. And you still have Kelsey, and you've got you know hopefully Jody comes back healthy, and you've got Noah Gray, who you drafted last year, and a couple other receivers. You know, what if Justin Ross is healthy and he becomes the fifth receiver? You know, like the possibilities are really endless, and I think the team is more versatile. You can do a few of those you know, wide receiver screens that you run a bunch. And now, you know, you've got 6'3", 210, 6'2", 220, and 6'5", 265 blocking for Nicole instead of, you know, 5'9", 1'85". That's a difference. That is a difference. And now you're able to get a guy who's really explosive with Nicole, ball in his hands, and he's got three more tight end-ish bodies in front of him to block instead of two smaller guys in a tight end. So, that's the secret sauce for the Packers RPO game. Yeah. When people are talking about why they can do that, it's Rodgers having his finger on the button the entire time. That helps. And Devontae's a really nice yak guy with some of just those little bubbles that they throw. But having two guys that are built like modern day tight ends in a lot of ways, that allows that function version of the offense to function. And now the Chiefs can do some version of that where you're tweaking even the RPO side of things a little bit. Right. And it's just, it's going to be really interesting and, you know, I'm excited to see the offensive line is like continually kind of overhauled. You have last year, you know, best center and guard rookies in the NFL. Some people consider Creed to be the best, you know, PFF considered him to be the best center in football overall. Those guys are back. You know, you usually make a huge jump your second year, especially if you had such a good first year. So now you've got two young studs who are going to be ascending even more than last year. You've got Tooney, who's still great. You got Orlando Brown, who made huge progress with the adjustment to that offense and by the end of the year he was playing really good ball you've got three or four guys now to, to play that right tackle spot a lot of guys who have played before and played for the Chiefs as well so you combine the receiver you know up I don't know if upgrade is the right word but kind of just like upgrade in terms of the entire package reset. and yeah the reset um I was thinking more you know literal upgrade in height when I was saying that um <laughs> But yeah, it, it just it's, it's a super super size. Yeah, it's it's a different offense, and yeah. it's it's gonna be fun to see. Um, I really like what they've done. I would imagine that they went in and thinking like, you know, if we could be more physical across the board, and we can, you know, force teams. I'm not gonna get into the whole too high thing, but like if we can run the ball and get the yards that we need to be efficient at any point in the game against any defense, that's gonna be a net positive for us. The team has always seen RPOs and little wide receiver screens as an extension of the run game. And so even upgrading a couple blockers in that role, to your point, like that could be a huge difference that people don't really know about. And that's part of why Sammy was so important because he was a huge dude. Sammy is much bigger wide receiver than people realize. Because, now in Green Bay, by the way. Yeah, everyone just thought like, oh, well, he ran whatever, 437. He must be a speed guy. And we saw all the highlights of him juking people in college. He's a huge dude, and he was at the front of all those bunch formations, 
he was the guy forcing press coverage out of the way. He was the guy creating the, sp- the space in the bunch, and he might not had a he might not have had the catches and the re- receiving yards that everyone wanted based on the salary, but he's a big part of that offense, and they've kind of been missing that specific role. Now they've got guys who can fill that. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, I want to ask you, and I don't want to have the same conversation everyone else has had over the last couple of days, because I don't really give a shit about what his answer was. I want to ask you about the Ryan Tannehill comments during the press conference, because I do think you've had an interesting experience with this, and I wanted to hear just your thoughts about it overall. For those of you who don't know, if you have consumed sports media at all over the last 72 hours, Ryan Tannehill said it's not his job to mentor Malik Willis, which it's not. It's not, it's not his job. What would you say is the typical dynamic when you are brought in as a young player within a position group? I know it's pro- it's context-dependent everywhere you go, but what is the typical dynamic between a veteran player and a rookie in a position room? The typical dynamic is as the young guy, you don't want to cause trouble. Like You don't want to be the one that's you know not understanding things and asks a bunch of questions, that screws up drills, that makes the older guys frustrated. You, know, you want to be obviously liked and respected and kind of fit in with the rest of the group. And so you put an onus on yourself to learn everything as best you can, to understand what's going on, to not have to be, you know, in training camp, it's 9.15 and you're getting the install for the next morning's practice. Like you don't want to ask like, hey coach on this B block, like what's the specific angle? Can you go over that again? Like you don't want to be that guy. And a lot of guys won't ask the question because they don't want to be that and they don't know the answer. And then the next day they screw it up and then it's just like this vicious cycle. <laughs> but you just kind of want to fit in. You want to make friends. You want to perform well. You want to make the team. Um, so that's kind of where you are from the the younger perspective. And it depends on where you're drafted, to be fair, right? If you're first, second, third round, really fourth round as well, you're kind of expecting to make the team. Like it's not a given for sure, but it's a pretty well-known thing that you're going to make the team. You'd have to screw something up if you didn't, if you didn't make the team. <laughs> yeah, something, something happened. Uh, if you're a quarterback, especially in a – third round and above like you're going to make the team so it's a different mindset for those guys to kind of have a little bit of that security knowing like yeah they brought me here for a reason like I still have to show them that I can play I can start I can do whatever but like my roster spot isn't necessarily up for grabs once you start getting you know a little bit a fourth round imagine Baltimore this year all those fourth rounders but really like into the fifth round and beyond that's when you know guys getting cut in training camps a lot more prevalent so those guys are coming in and like goal number one is whatever I need to do to make this team. Like I know that 
it's not a guarantee. There's going to be a lot of competition. I'm probably going to be down on the depth chart a little bit. And it's a little bit different mindset. You know, you kind of have to do what you need to do to prioritize. I need to make sure I'm prepared. I need to make sure I'm doing things the right way. You know, if I do have to ask that annoying question and be that annoying guy, like I need to do that because I have to perform tomorrow. I have less reps than the other guys. I have to make this count. And so it's interesting because there are kind of those different, you know, roles and different things that guys think about. Um, so it's, it, it's tough. It's a lot tougher to be in a situation where you're not guaranteed a roster spot. You're fighting for a job. You're fighting for playing time. Um, it's way more stressful than, you know, being a starter who just knows like the next day, yeah, I'm going to get all the reps of the ones. Everything's cool. Like I've been on this offense for a couple of years and it's going to be nice and easy. When you and Joe had a very good relationship, he, he taught you a lot. You were in a really good group with a really bunch of really good guys. When you were learning from him, just the ways that he operated, his habits, all of that stuff that you took a lot from, is that something you were just observing? Did he reach out to you and kind of extend a hand and say, hey, I'll, I'll show you this kind of stuff? Did you ask him questions? Which direction was the communication? What was the dynamic like between you guys and that went early on especially? Well, it's a little bit of everything. You know, as a young guy, you're probably asking more questions than that guy's really reaching out. But Joe's also a great guy. And so he... Yeah. You know, if you see something like, hey, you should try this. I noticed this in practice. You should try this. But like you've got two and a half, three hour practices. And so you're doing a lot of the drills, you know, after one on ones, you go over like, hey, did you see mine? What do you think there? You know, that's kind of what everybody does. You go up to the guy you trust the most and you say, hey, did you see that rep? What do you think? Uh, you know, when you're watching film, uh, it depends if you're sitting next to the guy or not. But like, hey, you know, what'd you think of that practice or what'd you think of that rep? And so you're, you're kind of always asking those questions, talking about things. You know, I'd say for the most part, veterans are willing to help. And I would imagine if, you know, Malik is doing something that's like totally off base, Tannehill is going to be like, hey, like you should try it this way. Like, I think you'll have more success. He's not just going to be like, well, screw this guy. He's coming to take my job. I'm not going to give him any help. Like That's that kind of my thought here is that there's a line between being an asshole and being a mentor, right? <laughs> right? And if you can fall somewhere within that sweet spot, you're probably doing what's appropriate. And the quote on paper looks so much worse than listening to him saying it. Yes. Because if you listen to him say it, it just, you could tell there's no asshole in it. There's no, no meanness there's no at all. It's at just all. like, you know, it's not my job to like specifically mentor him and to like help him through every single thing. But like, I'm here. He's going to learn from me. We're going to be collaborative. Like, he said all the right things in the right tone. It's just on paper with no context. That quote just looks like shit. And that's obviously where we are in, in today. So, um, yeah, it's most veterans aren't assholes. You know, they're, they're not going to like perfectly or purposely not coach you or not help you to spite you because they think you're after their job. That's just not really the way it works. It, it takes a special kind of person to you know do that. And those guys just don't tend to exist that much. You know, if you're that big of a jerk, you've you know probably been weeded out at some point because, you know, it's not going to work out for you in some other regard. What did you do? Did, were you a text on the dra night of the draft guy? Did you wait for people to come to you that were younger players? How did you handle that? That's a good question. Um, well, we never really drafted guys in Kansas City. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> until that's true. I left. Uh you know, th that's what sucked at the end of every year is we didn't really have any good draft pick money to spend on gifts for us. So uh, <laughs> in Cleveland, we always did because I was a second rounder. Joel was a second rounder. Cam Irving was a first rounder. Like we always had uh, a good amount of guys to, to pull from. In Kansas City, I think until, I don't know, Lucas was the third rounder and then he opts out. So he's not even around that year. And then I leave and then Creed's the second rounder. So we didn't even have any like good money in the offensive line room. But no, you, you get to meet with the guys, um, you know, usually is a couple weeks until they're around. Once they're around, you know, you're going to see them. Um, you're able to, you know, help out, ask questions. Like they get integrated into your schedule kind of. They just have like a couple more hours in the morning or afterwards. I kind of forget how that works. But they have a little bit of extra time with the coaches. And, um, you know, I always – I like the coaching side of things. That's something that's always appealed to me and that's been fun for me. And – I hate seeing guys struggle and I kind of know that like mental anguish of trying to get things right and feeling like you don't know how to accomplish it and not being, you know, in a, a good headspace from that perspective. So I've always tried to help guys, but again, you're not necessarily like in the meeting room, like helping them on every single rep or whatever. It's just like you watch a bunch of film, 
you know, especially for younger guys, they're probably in a different group of uh, like ones or twos or threes. So you can watch them more than you're watching yourself when you're watching yourself as a starter. And so, yeah, after practice or after meetings, you can go and be like, hey, you know, I saw you do these things, you know, maybe try this tomorrow. And it's usually not this like bucket list of things that you've got eight different things to hit the guy on. It's just like, hey, you know, your stance is a little funky. Why don't you try this? Or you're leaning a little too much. You know, I've done this in the past and I think it'll help. That's a lot different than I think what people think of mentoring, which is like you're there going over every single rep with the guy and sharing notes on installs. And like, it's just, it's a lot different, I think, than what the public perception is. Yeah, exactly. And so kind of to your point and to your question, some guys are more forthright with it. Some younger guys are more willing to go up to a veteran and be like, hey, did you see my practice today? What'd you think? Or, hey, I'm trying this thing in pass pro. It's not quite working. Do you mind helping me real quick? And I, every team I've been on, it's, it's been a good room and basically everyone's able to learn from everybody else. You know, I'm sure Joe Tooney was learning from Trey Smith last year. You know, Orlando Brown probably learned a little bit from Wiley or from um, Creed or like you just you're always picking things up from other guys. And it's just the cool part of football. The last thing I wanted to ask you, it's something that came up a couple of different times as we were having discussions this week or things in the news. And two things really made me think about it. One was the Grady Jarrett extension in Atlanta. And you have this team, the Falcons. We talked about some cash spending earlier on the show with regard to the Eagles. Falcons are now near the bottom of the league. They're rebuilding. They're tearing down. It's Everyone knows it, and they've been pretty open about it with the decisions that they've made outside of two things. They re-signed Jake Matthews to an extension, and they re-signed Jared, Grady Jarrett to an extension. I don't think that's an accident. I think that they're trying to say, all right, here are two kind of pillars, one on either side of the ball as we rebuild, and guys that can establish and instill a culture and having two kind of forces in that locker room to say, this is how we want to do things, even if we're going to lose a bunch of games. And the other thing arose when Lindsay and I were talking yesterday. If you're a veteran on the Seahawks, you're Quandre Diggs, for example, you come back on an extension, and that team is going to roll out some combination of Drew Locke and Geno Smith at quarterback this year. What does that do for organizational culture? This idea of always compete that Pete Carroll is going to sit up there and say, do we believe that? And how does that make you feel? So to me, the question is, do you think there's something to balancing a rebuild with not letting your culture get away from you? Do you think that is a consideration that is important for teams as they're thinking about this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I would say, a big reason why the Lions went and got Dan Campbell, because he can kind of be that centralizing force to provide the energy and the juice. And, you know, every single day he's the message. He's the fire he's the kneecaps and all that stuff you know in terms of the players you know you do want to have veteran players who are leading by example i'm not sure that you need to pay 30 plus year olds premium contracts to make that happen that's where maybe i'd push back probably more on the grady jarrett one than the jake matthews because i think you know matthews's health history has been pretty flawless offensive yeah. line is a position that uh declines a little bit less obviously than the defensive tackle and so I'm not sure that you need to spend, you know, $18 million or $17 million a year on a D tackle who's going to be 30 on his, this deal to have a veteran presence on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the Lions did it with Michael Brockers. There was a slightly different yeah, you know, financial like, tier we're shopping in there. <laughs> we've seen a lot of guys who get signed to different teams and they're coming in to help out with the culture, to help out with, um, you know, the message and keeping the young guys on track. If you can get that for two or three million at a position and, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be a pillar of the team who's been there for a while. Um, you know, I think you could probably get most of uh, that ability. You know, I guess I just, I'd like to think that you don't need a veteran who's been on the team for seven or eight years, who's produced at a high level to be the guy that like shows everyone else how to practice the right way. You know, I'd like to think that you have guys who know how to practice and that you have other people on the team who can hold them accountable. Um, so I, I'd push back on that a little bit because I don't know that that's something I'd particularly do as a GM, spend that kind of money on on that age, those positions, to just have that veteran to be a stabilizing force. To be fair, they create $11 million in cap space by doing this as well. It, it was a contract right, they were so going to have like, to pay out anyway. Right, so I didn't really want to bring that up because I could go on about that as well. But like, You've compounded years of cap mistakes by now potentially making another one just to reduce the cap hit this year. 
I don't know. It's just it's, it's a weird thing. Well, that, they're going to have 125 million dollars in cap space next offseason, and he's going to it's going to be 20 million, and it's the last year of their of his deal if they want it to be. Yeah, so I know, but I'm just saying. Like, I can understand it. Like, what else are you going to spend the money on next year? I mean, it, it, I think it's one of those things. Yeah, but you one you don't know. Like, you just don't know what the market's going to bear. Maybe they're a team that's probably going to want to get a quarterback at some point and upgrade. Maybe a guy becomes available and you can front load a deal from that perspective. Two, the way the cap works, you can roll over money to the next year. So if you are hitting in the draft and you are having young guys that you want to pay, like you can keep rolling that over until you're able to sign two, three, four, five of those guys. So I don't know. I, I just think you're in cap hell and you're having to extend the guy to lower the cap who's at a premium position on a third contract on the wrong side of 30 to do that, just to like keep one guy on defense who can be a leader to me, that isn't totally worth it. You know, I, the Seattle thing's a little bit different. You know, you want to talk about guys getting disgruntled in their situations, <laughs> guys who have been part of awesome defenses and now their quarterback sucks and they're like, all right, this is not what I signed up for. Like that if you're a veteran be- offensive lineman on that team and, and you you're walking into the season with that, do you just kind of understand like that it's a waste? Like it, this is just a season that what are we trying to accomplish? How do you just kind of sift through that as a player? It's tough. Um, that was something that was different of my experience in Cleveland than Joe's to kind of get back to that. Like Joe very much knew, hey, our quarterback sucks. We're probably not going to be good this year. And you know he's talked about some of the mental health stuff he went through that it's like it's really difficult to just know you're – playing football and you're probably not going to win and like the point of playing football is to win and to have fun and like you just signed up for another season you're under contract and like you kind of know that realistically you don't have a chance to do that so that's that's a very difficult thing um those guys are in you know pretty tough situations to go from russell wilson to um you know downgrading a quarterback the way the way they have and it's going to be i mean it's going to be obvious like the first couple practices like it's just going to be a lot different the offense is going to look a lot worse it's going to be a lot less crisp there's going to be you know that one guy who's the rallying force of the team um so it's going to be tough and those guys are going to be in a situation where you know your accountability to your teammates and to your position and to what you're actually doing is going to need to take over you know, it's a lot easier as an offensive lineman to do that. You know, even if you kind of know that your team isn't going to win more than six games, like you still know you can't let that guy get hit. You can't let yourself play crappy. You know, I think it's a little easier on the defensive side of the ball or at other positions to not fly in there a thousand miles an hour. Maybe you're a little bit more measured. Maybe you take a little bit different angle. Maybe, you know, you, you let up a little bit more. Uh, you can't really do that in offensive line and, and get away with it. So um, it's just, it's it's a difficult situation. It's not something I, I envy that's um you know tough to be part of a team a really successful one it gets rid of its quarterback he's kind of a big reason why the team's had the success and now you're you know in, in your 30s and you're probably not making as much money as you used to and you know that your team has a certain ceiling and it's a lot different than what it's been yeah that i think that's very real right i mean i can't even imagine that where you have such a small shelf life as an nfl player even if you're somebody who played for a decade that one year of those 10 years, it's a pretty big percentage. Yeah. And the idea that th- that one year, you're not even, th- there's no hope of accomplishing anything. Like you're really just like, all right, how do I put myself in a really good position here? That has to be the thought there when you know that the franchise isn't trying to win. I, I can't even imagine how difficult that is. No, I mean, I can't either. <laughs> I got lucky that I had the bad years when I was young and I didn't know any better. And I had fun with my friends every day and, it was a, a good working environment. You know, I didn't go from that situation and leave and go to a worse situation. Um, that's something that you don't really see. You just don't see guys over 30 who kind of hang on for no reason and just sign, you know, say a guy's used to making $8 million a year. He's probably not going to sign with a bottom five team for 2 or $3 million. Like, that just doesn't happen. They be- Trust me. I'm thinking about the Bears wide receiver room right now, and <laughs> I'm, I'm painfully aware of that. Right. So it's just like those guys aren't signing on to play for bad teams. If anyone has the choice, like, usually just going to be like, all right, I'd rather sit the year out. Not that that's a good option anyway, but, like, I'd rather just, like, sit the year out instead of play for a lot less money on a team that doesn't really have a chance. It's different when you're making, you know, six-plus million a year and you feel like you're still being compensated pretty decently. Um but if you're not, if you're, you know, maybe a fringe starter, core special teamer, um, you know, high quality backup, 
and you were having a lot of fun. You were making the playoffs. It was a good team. It was a great work environment. Now that gets stripped from you and you feel like, you know, you've kind of been underpaid always. It's just the other things made up for it. Well, now the other things aren't making up for it. So what happens? Uh, I don't envy, like I said, any of those positions. It's, it's a really tough thing. And a 10-year career, you're very lucky to get a 10-year career. So to throw away, you know, 10% of that career on a season that you kind of know isn't going anywhere, um, it's tough. And I mean, that's where maybe guys are realizing, again, getting back to their power. Maybe they can kind of ask for trades or they can ask to try to find somewhere else or like, Hey, if this thing goes south, like by the trade deadline, you know, I'd really love to move to a situation where I still have a chance to compete and, and win a championship. P. Carroll, apparently on the radio today, said, I don't see us making a trade for a veteran quarterback. So the Seahawks will be potentially rolling into the season. We with... also couldn't envision Russell Wilson being traded. So, yeah, that's that, that also smells of <laughs> maintaining leverage in any sort of Baker Mayfield conversation. So, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Mitchell Schwartz, this is great. I miss doing this. I really appreciate you doing it. And uh, we will continue to do it here, hopefully, over the course of the offseason. You're settled now. You're home. You're in a new house. You, your your life has like, reached a nice little level here. Uh, that's one way to put it. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. That sounds good for the podcast. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the time, buddy. It's great to chat with you. Yeah, same. Thank you so much. All right, guys. That's all we got for today. It's really all we got for... This version of the schedule, uh, I think we said earlier on the show this week, I feel like that is now the end of the season is the week after the draft and recapping the draft and recapping the offseason like we just did. We're going to move into our offseason cadence starting next week, which is going to be three days a week. We're going to be back on Tuesday with a mailbag. I think we're going to have weekly mailbag throughout the offseason and answer your guys' questions. So please submit those questions, athleticfootballshow at gmail.com. Please get them in by, let's say, 1 p.m. Eastern on Monday, if that works for you guys. You can also leave us a voicemail. I don't know the voicemail number off the top of my head. I will be tweeting it out. You can be on the lookout for that. So we'll be three days a week over the course of the offseason. we got some fun stuff coming your way. Really looking forward to that. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It would mean a lot to us as we wrap up year two here. If you like the podcast, let us know. It would mean a lot to me. I'd really appreciate it. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show never stops man we're gonna have stuff about the nfl all may all june so many great draft recaps the stories about how the aj brown trade went down some of the thought processes that went into each individual team's draft you can't follow the league without athletic subscription i would say that even if i didn't work here so please go get one if you do not have one we will be back early next week you guys enjoy your weekend talk to you later This was The Athletic Football Show.